Well, good morning, church. Hey, today I've got some good news and some bad news for you. Um, raise your hand if you want the good news first. Okay. Raise your hand if you want the bad news first. All right, you guys are weird. I'll give you bad news first. Okay, so we're going to start with bad news first. And it's, it's not really that bad. It's not going to ruin your day. Just let's walk through this. Um, bad news. It's easier to feel something than to learn something. You probably already knew that. I'm just kind of calling a spade a spade and, and bring us to this realization that it is much easier to feel a certain way than to actually get to this place where you learn something. I can feel something and that's one thing. I can get triggered or I can hear a song and it brings back an emotion or I can see a picture and it brings back a memory. I can smell something and feel repulsed. All of those things can happen and they can cause me to feel a certain way. But learning something, it takes a little bit more effort. So that's kind of the bad news. And you're gonna see why in a second I think that's bad news. Here's the good news though. Learning something actually leads to lasting change. So if I learn something and it, it really becomes something that I've grasped, I understand, it becomes something that is a, a truth that I can hold on to, it actually can bring about change in my life because now I've learned the right way to do something. I've learned how the principle works. I've learned the truth. And it leads to lasting change. But feelings, they only lead to temporary change. And I'll explain it to you like this. Um, it's that time of year again, right? Where we get invited to pool parties, all right? None of us were looking forward to that, but it's just part of what comes with the territory. And so say you get invited to a pool party. You're like, hey, let me determine the main thing that determines whether or not I'm gonna go to this, not whether or not it will fit in my schedule, but whether or not I will fit into my swimsuit. And... You, amen. Yes, Lord. Um, so you go to your closet and you try that thing on and, and you get about halfway up and you know, you can just kind of feel how it started. It used to not touch your thighs until it got to a certain length and it touches them sooner. And you're like, this is, this is not it, man. This is not it. And so you make this um, thing and you, you're like, man, well, I want to go. And so I'll just go buy a new one. That one's from, that one's from college anyway. I probably should get a new one. This is how most guys are. We're like, man, you know, you know, some of you need to have a conversation with your dad this week where you say, dad, please don't wear that swimsuit again. I'm like, Right, but you go, you know, to the store and, and you buy the, the the new one, and, and you, you get in the the dressing room, which is, you know, I think is going to be one of Satan's layers of hell, like dressing rooms. You just go and you try on clothes, um, and you get there and and you look in the mirror, and you can put on that new thing and look at yourself in the mirror, and you just kind of go, huh. and if we're honest, it makes us feel a certain way, right? Now, if you've been working really hard and you're, you know, you've been seeing results, like makes you feel good. Oh, wow, cool, I got into this. But most of the time it's like, I don't leave out of a dressing room feeling better about life or better about things in general, you know? Like you leave out of there and you feel a certain way. And maybe because you felt a certain way, there as you looked at yourself in the, in the dressing room mirror, you walk out and you have the best four workouts of your life that week. You have a great diet that week because you felt a certain way and it led to some temporary change. You had some great workouts, you had a great diet, you ate well that week, you tracked calories that week, you learned what a macro was, you did all of those things that week and then life happened. You went back to normal. See, that's where feeling can lead to temporary change, but learning, going, okay, I want to feel different about myself, so I've gotta learn how I work. I'm gonna go meet with an endocrinologist. I'm gonna go get some blood work done to know, hey, what's really going on in my body on the inside? And so what do I need to eat because of that? You go and you talk with a dietitian and you get an idea of what your meal plan needs to be. You go and you talk with a physical trainer, you go to a gym, you get a membership and you go learn, hey, based off of my body type, based off of my goals, here are the things I need to do. I need to learn this about me so I can actually see the changes that I wanna actually see happen. 
Now, again, you're probably going, what in the world does any of this have to do with Mother's Day or Jesus or the Bible or anything? It, a lot, actually. See, most of our faith is actually based on how we feel about stuff, based off how we feel about ourselves, based how we feel about how um, well we've been doing about not cussing or listening to Christian radio instead of other stuff. Most of our faith can, if we're not careful, it can really become based off of feeling a certain way. And what I'm trying to get you to understand is feelings will only lead to temporary change. That's why some of you, you can have, a, a, in the same way that we can go look in a, in a bathroom mirror, we can kind of come to church one time and we, and we leave out and we're like, okay, man, I'm gonna have the best week ever. And we do a Bible study. We listen to J93 or 104.7. We do all those things. We pray for three days in a row. And then in the same way with our diet, life happens in our faith. And what I'm trying to get us to is to become people who don't have faith that is rooted in feelings. Because what I want you to know is that your feelings are a part of your flesh. They're a part of the fall. They're a product of the fall. Your feelings, they will lie to you. They'll trick you because your feelings are connected to your flesh. And so we've got to have a faith that actually does the harder work of learning, not just what reflection we see in the mirror when we look at God's words and go, I don't really measure up to that but a faith that goes to a deeper place that says, I need to learn how God has wired me. I need to learn the things of God. Now, again, go back to the bad news. It is much easier to feel something than to learn something. And most people would prefer a church experience where they just walk out feeling a certain way, feeling good about themselves. Or some of you are those weirdos in the room. You're like, you love those messages where you're like, man, you just, you were preaching to my small intestine today, just right up in my guts. And you like, like you, you were one of those people that you like that. And you know, it's good. And then you get in the parking lot and it's, it's, it, your, your small intestine has recovered and you're good to go and you go back to life. So what I'm after here, the whole reason I'm talking to you about this is I want us to be a people who lean into a deeper and more radical truth than just our feelings can bring to say that there's gotta be a truth that is unchanging, a truth that is dependable, a truth that is trustworthy. And I believe that that truth can only be found in the word of God. That is, is by going to the word of God that we can learn the deeper things about him so that we can have lasting change. Because I ask you this question, like, why do you come here? Like, why are you here? Like, what's the point? Was it just to make somebody happy? And for Mother's Day, that was, you probably could say, yeah, is what it is. I know some of you, I used to have to do the same thing. It's okay. But like, if you go to church consistently or you go once or, once or twice every month or whatever, why? Is it to feel better? I hope somewhere within your answer to why, why do I show up to a, to a church gathering? Why is that something that's a weekly part of my life? Hopefully somewhere within your answer would be, I really want my life to change for the better. I really want to be a better mother. I really want to be a better father. I really, you know, for some of you would say, I, I come and I'm a part of this. One, because I want my life to change for the better, but I also want my kid's life to change for the better. I want my family to bear fruit. I want my life to be different. I want my life to be better. But here's what I'm trying to tell you is that your feelings will not lead to the better that God has for you. That his truth found in his word will lead to that. Now, again, the bad news is that's not gonna be as easy as just being riled up or gut punched. That's gonna take engaging in one of these environments with your brain to go, I'm gonna 
dive into this. I'm going to think about this and I'm going to take what we talk about in here and I'm going to take it out of this room. I'm going to take it into my life. I'm going to take the passage of scripture that we're diving into. I'm going to take it and make it a part of my week this week so that the Holy Spirit can begin to allow me to be able to preach to myself and not have those 40 minutes on Sunday be the only time where I hear the word of God. So I want to take you to the place we're going to be today. This is the book of Ephesians. We're going to be walking through this. We're in week three of this. And unfortunately, um, we're still not going to get past verse one. Sorry. Um, I promise it's going to be good, though. Um, first service said it was. So I'm feeling confident about myself as much as I should. I don't know. God help us. Um, so if you've got a Bible, go to Ephesians chapter one. I'm going to read you more than just um, one verse, though. So what we're going to do is um, this is absolutely beautiful, beautiful passage of Scripture. And I want to just take a second and, and lean into it. And you've heard me say this if you've been around MCC before. You heard me say this last week. You heard me say it Easter Sunday if you were here for that. Is what we're getting ready to do. I'm going to read you Ephesians one verses one through 14. And I'm going to explicitly make this point here. This is getting ready to be the most important part of the sermon. It's a part where the word of God is elevated above anything I would say. And I pray that you are able to just sit in this for a second. If you've got a Bible, like I said, it's Ephesians 1. The apostle Paul is writing to a church in Ephesus. We're gonna learn in a second that they have a lot in common with us. And hopefully this does a little bit to whet your appetite for where we're gonna go over the course of the next few weeks because we're getting ready to dive into what in the world, all the stuff that we're getting ready to read right here in Ephesians 1, what are the implications for me and you in our life? And how do we become a different group of people? How do we become a different community because of who we are in Christ and who our identity is in him? So this is what Paul says. Ephesians 1, if you wanna read along. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he freely has given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effort or put into effect when the time will have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and on earth under together under one head, even Christ. In him, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you who were included in Christ, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Church, this is the word of God, the thick word of God. Let's pray together. 
Jesus, I thank you for choosing a guy like Paul and by the power of your Holy Spirit, inspiring him to write words like these. And Jesus, there's so much contained in these 14 passages that it blows our mind. To, to be able to, to lean into even the words that are on these pages, Jesus, it, it almost seems like way too far, way too hard of a task for our minds to even be able to do. Father, I, in a culture that's becoming more and more consumed by only being able to give our attention to things that last 30 seconds and then we swipe off of them, I pray that we would be able to spend some time lingering in your word, sitting in the beauty of the truths that are there, that you would free us from distraction in these moments and that by the power and the preaching of your word, Jesus, you would show us more of who you are and then more of who we are because of that. And I pray that when they know who they are, they would know what to do. Jesus, I pray that you would bring life change today. Remove me, get me out of the way and, and do whatever you need to do to bring the hurt, the healing they need to bring the hopeless, the hope they need, to bring the anxious, the peace they need, and the desperate, the comfort they need. By the power of your word and the power of your name, I ask all of this. Amen. So I was doing some studying on Ephesians, and I really love the, the way this one particular um, commentary author Describe the book of Ephesians. He said, Ephesians is the, I love this, the distilled essence of the gospel. All right, so any of you uh, moms ever use essential oils? Okay, yeah, cool, witchcraft. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding, it's not witchcraft. Um, it's borderline though. Um, the same moms who use essential oils wouldn't let their kids read Harry Potter. Did you realize that? Um, anyway, they do work. And if I had a sinus congestion, I would totally put some peppermint on my mustache and just, just make all that open up. Yeah, yeah. So what he's after there is that's kind of like what the book of Ephesians is, is take the, all of the gospel and let's distill this down. Let's get it into the strongest proof, the, the highest dosage of the true and impactful, the irreducible minimum of the gospel. And let's put that in six chapters. And that essence of the gospel is found here in the six chapters that make up this book of Ephesians. Paul, unlike any of the other uh, letters that he wrote to churches, he writes to the book of Ephesians, not addressing them because of something that they had screwed up or done wrong or some wrong or sinful things that they're doing. He writes to them, just trying to show them the gospel, right? To them, trying to show them the truth. And what we're gonna dive in today is the plan, the place, and the purpose that Paul gives us. The plan, the, plan, the place, and the purpose. I'm skipping so you can get to lunch. Um, Paul talks about the plan, the place, and the purpose. First of all, when he talks about the plan, he's talking about this is, this is God's plan. And I'm gonna lay out God's plan in this book of Ephesians. I'm gonna lay out God's plan all throughout his word. And he's gonna show us this through here. And the next thing we'll see is he talks about the place. And what we're gonna understand is that it's actually kind of two places at one time. And that's kind of how God intends for us to live as well. And he's gonna show the Ephesians their purpose in the place that they're in because of the plan that God has for them. So if you've got a Bible, I'd invite you to go ahead and turn to Ephesians 1.1. 1, 1. Hopefully you are already there. That's where we're at. Ephesians 1.1, 1, 1, we're gonna see the plan. So Paul starts out, Ephesians 1.1. 1, 1. 
He says, he introduces himself. I'm Paul, I'm apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. I'm not writing to you because uh, I, I chose this major. I'm writing to you because Jesus chose me. I was actually running the exact opposite direction of being your pastor, of starting this church, of doing these things, Paul would say. And Jesus knocked me off of my, t- my donkey and radically changed my life. And here I am on missionary journeys, getting on boats, traveling from city to city to city and starting these churches. So this crazy new thing that is the gospel of Jesus Christ can spread and change the world. And what's awesome is you are here on Mother's Day because of that guy and the power of the Holy Spirit working through him. So Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, then he says this, to the saints who are in Ephesus and the faithful in Christ Jesus. All right, so right off the bat, there's a plan laid out and I'm gonna kind of give you a a bigger picture overview of the gospel uh, that's contained in Ephesians. Where it starts is in chapter one through three, what Paul does is he begins to explain to the Ephesians everything that has been done for them in Christ. He's trying to get them to see, okay, because of what God has done through Jesus and in Jesus, here is now what you are. Here's now what's on the table for you. Here is now your identity in Christ. And so the first half, if you go through and you read Ephesians, you'll go through one through three and you'll be like, this is weighty. This is magnificent. This is looking like what we just read through. Now, you may have looked at it in your Bible. Actually, in the Greek, it may have sounded like one giant run-on sentence when I was reading it. In the Greek, it really is. Verses 3 through 14, it's just one giant. Paul loved run-on sentences. Like he was a grammar teacher's nightmare. He just big giant run-on sentences, and he just runs through that whole entire thing. And so he does that. He does that through all of chapter one, chapter two, and chapter three. And then after he says, here is what all is made possible to and made available to you in Christ. And one through three in verses four, or chapters four through six, he says, okay, now here is what life should look like for you because of this. Because of what all has been done for you in Christ, here is now what you have the capability and the power to do because of what God has done in Christ. And right off the bat, I'll say that that is usually the exact opposite about how we approach faith, about how we approach Christianity, about how we approach life change. Most of us just come into it going, what do I need to do? What, needs to, what do I need to do? What do I need to change? How do I be a better husband? How do I be a better spouse? How do I have more respect for people? How do we um, seek racial reconciliation? Paul's gonna get into that in the back half of Romans. We're gonna get into that too. He, he says all these things that we wanna see happen. How do we see reform? How do we see uh, the, the poor being fed? How do we see all these things happen? Paul says, before we gotta get into any of that in chapters four, five, and six, first and foremost, we've gotta go through one, two, three. And figure out what has been done for us in Christ. And then we'll know who we are. So he, first and foremost, he lays out the plan. Next, I want to talk to you about the place. So we all have a location. We all have where we are at. And last week we talked about if we're ever going to understand truly our identity, we have to understand that our identity is found in Christ. And we asked the question, if a fourth grader came up to you and said, hey, what does it mean to have my identity in Christ? Most of us will go, go ask your mom or uh, you know, go ask your pastor or some, some, go ask your Sunday school teacher or whatever. But most of us will have a hard time explaining that. We kind of walked through that last week. I don't have time to go back and fully unpack that. We're going to get into a little bit of that today. But if you missed that, go back and talk about that last week. We're going to hit that almost every single week that we're in here about what does it mean to be in Christ. But Paul is going to begin to show them that you're not just in Christ. The end. Go live in a bunker. Look what he says. He says, by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful 
in Christ. So again, this is the predecessor. This is the thing that's most important, the fact that you are in Christ. But in the same way that you are in Christ, you are also in Ephesus, Paul would say. And I would say to everybody in the room, in the same way that those of you who have put your faith and trust in Christ, you are in Christ, you are also in Henry County. So what Paul is trying to explain to them here is we have a dual citizenship. You are both in Christ and you are in Ephesus. And most of the time, the church either swings the pendulum really hard one way or really hard the other way. We say, well, we're in Christ. And so we don't do those things. We don't go to those places. We don't shop at those stores. We don't do that. We definitely aren't going to Disney World. We're not watching any Disney stuff. We're not doing all of these things. We're only listening to this kind of radio because we are in Christ. And because we're in Christ, here are all the million of different things we're not gonna do. And no, they can't stay the night. No, you can't go over there. You better not have any friends. They better have Bible verses memorized. They better have a WWG bracelet if they're coming to our house. We have all these things because we're in Christ. These are all the things we gotta do. We swing that pendulum all the way that way. And then the pendulum goes the other way. It's like, we're in Ephesus. So we have to, we have to, we, you know, that's not, we don't really think like that anymore. And we're not really binary anymore. Like our culture's not about that. And if it doesn't hurt you, then it doesn't hurt me. And, and we kind of loosen all these things up and we lose our in Christness because we want to still fit into Ephesus or Henry County or America or your middle school or your high school. And what Paul's trying to get them to understand is you have dual enrollment. You have dual citizenship. It is first and foremost, primarily because you are in Christ. And it's gotta start there. It's gotta stay there. That's where it's rooted in. That's where it's all about. But you are also still in Ephesus. I talked at length last week about what was going on and what it means to be in Christ. And today I wanna talk to you a little bit about what in the world was going on in Ephesus. So you get the context. Again, when you come to God's word, we don't just come to God's word and go, okay, what does this mean for me as an eighth grader at Luella Middle School? We come to God's word and we go, First and foremost, what did this mean for the people who originally read this? Especially when it's something like this where Paul's writing them a letter to address what was going on in their society. And what we're gonna to come to find is we actually have a lot in common with them. So I wanna give you a little backstory about how in the world they even got a church to be in Ephesus. So I'll walk you through that a little bit. If you got a Bible, you can go to like Acts 25 through 30 and you can kind of pick up on some of these things to be able to see kind of what was going on here. But again, Paul becomes a missionary. God says, go and plant churches. He goes on these missionary journeys and Paul sails to this port city of Ephesus. He goes there twice. One trip is pretty short. He's only there for about three months. Things kind of go crazy and he's got to go. The next time he goes there, he spends three years there in Ephesus, planning this church, discipling people, raising up leaders and trying to get them off the ground in this society that they're in. And from there, Paul goes on. I wanna give you an idea of what was going on in, in Ephesus and kind of what that city was like. Ephesus at that time was under rule of Roman reign. All right, so it's a Roman city. Ephesus at that time was a city of about a quarter million people. It was the second biggest city in the entire Roman civilization. So at that point in time, it was the second biggest city in the entire known world. So think New York City, think Los Angeles, like gigantic city. It was on a port. It's what would be modern day Turkey, would be where it was at. It was kind of a, you know, a port city, think like a Seattle giant city, right on a port, all sorts of commerce flow into the city. So it was a wealthy city. And that was a city that was also very uh, pagan. Uh, they would say that their primary God was this goddess named Diana or Artemis. They kind of had two different names for her. Uh, Diana or Artemis was believed to be the daughter of Zeus and the twin sister of Apollo. And so they worshiped her. And, and uh, Diana, she was the goddess of all the wild animals, of fertility. She was a goddess who would help uh, women who were struggling with childbirth to be able to give birth. So you would, you know, 
put a Diana figurine in your pocket and pray to her and rub that little figurine. It was silver. We're going to hear about why Paul gets kicked out of Ephesus in a second because of that. And so that was what was going on. At the same time, it was very pluralistic. And what that means is it wasn't like, hey, people are going to ask you on the street. You better show me that Diana figurine in your pocket or you're going to jail. It was like, if you want to worship and pray to Diana, pray to Diana. If you want to pray to Zeus, Zeus. If you want to not believe in anything, don't believe in anything. Even there in Ephesus was a Jewish synagogue. And so they all kind of just coexisted in this ecosystem. And, and they all were just like, you do you, I'll do me. As long as you don't hurt me, I don't hurt me. Nobody was saying there is one truth. Truth is up to you. Again, hopefully you're starting to see some of the similarities. But the real God there was not Artemis, was not Zeus, and it was not Yahweh. The real God was the emperor. Whoever was the emperor at the time was really the one who everything kind of rose and fall on. All your hopes were in them. So it would be their equivalent or our equivalent to a president. Everything was in, if we got the right person in, then our lives would be better. Our country, our society would be better. And it's all based off of who they are and what they're doing. Now, hopefully now you're beginning to see some more of the similarities. Pluralistic everything rides or dies on who's in charge or who we elect. And at that point, they, wouldn't, they obviously did not elect. It was not a democracy. You had to be a part of the family or kill a bunch of people. And that was a society that Paul writes to. There's a crazy story about how Paul actually ended up leaving Ephesus. So you heard me talk about this uh, goddess, Diana. What they would do a lot of times is there would be silversmiths in the city. And these silversmiths, they would create these little goddess figurines that you could put in your pocketbook or you could put in your pocket. And those are what you could have around. And you would have one of these up in your house, kind of the same way that people have, you know, a Buddha or, or whatever in their house or pictures of whatever God that they want to worship or serve. Not really a whole lot has changed since years and years and years have gone by. And what, what happened is Paul begins to spend those three years in Ephesus. And because this is a move of God and not a move of a goddess, there begins to be a revival that takes place. And people start changing their lives. People start getting rid of idols and becoming followers of this crazy new movement that is Christianity. So much so that the silversmiths in the town, they kind of take their, you know, their labor union and they all start a riot within the town to say, this guy's causing trouble. He's doing all these bad things. And really what was going on is he was hurting their bottom line because the people were beginning to let go of their idols. And so they start this riot to get Paul kicked out of town. And so that's the place. And Paul says, I think to them in the same way that he would say to us, I need you to realize that at any given moment, you're in two places at once. You're both in Christ and you are here. So make the most of the time you have because you don't know when that is going to be over. From there, Paul lays out, okay, here's the plan of the gospel. You see what God's done, then you'll know what to do. And he says, you're in this place. Okay, so your place is you're in Christ first and foremost. Then you're in Ephesus. And then from there, he begins to show this church in Ephesians their purpose. And this is where I really want you to lean in because this is a part of where we begin to figure out our purpose as well. We see it actually before he talks about this end stuff. And this is the first identifying characteristic he gives them. So he says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, read these words, to the saints. So the first thing that Paul calls them, the first identity characteristic that he gives this church is he calls them saints. Now remember, Paul's writing this from prison. He's like a few years removed from being there as their pastor. And then he's in prison. And these are the words that he puts out of his mouth. 
I don't know what you would expect me to write to you if I was your pastor and I got put in prison, but probably wouldn't be stuff like this. I'd be like, bail me out, you losers. Like, come on, like, help. Like, but Paul is like, I'm apostle of Jesus Christ to the saints in Ephesus. This is what he says to them. Now, immediately, some of us, we can hear this word and go, okay, Paul's talking to the saints of Ephesus. So what that means is he's got like the, the official, the elite, the everybody's like the leader of leaders, all the elders at the church, they're gathered together and they're the one that he's reading to. He's just trying to tell them what they need to do. This isn't for common people, regular churchgoers like me and you. No. And maybe we think that because we don't understand how church worked back then. They didn't have these big buildings where, where people could come and experience six flags over Jesus and do all these different things. They met in house to house and they did things that way. And so what would happen is they, Paul would roll up this letter and get it delivered. And as that letter would be delivered, probably somebody who's kind of like his associate pastor, one of the elders, one of the leaders of the church there, he would get that letter. And then they would all gather around and say, hey, we're gonna meet at Josephus' house at four o'clock and we're gonna read Paul's letter to us. And then everybody would gather together and they would sit down and they would, okay, let's open this up. And the first line that they would see is, okay, okay, Paul wrote it. That's obviously who it's from. And it says, by the will of God to the saints. And in that house or in that room, people who had said cuss words on the ride over heard that they were called saints. People who were someplace that they should not have been the Saturday night before were called saints. People who had not tithed a dime to the mission that God was doing there in that city and the revival that was taking place were called saints. People who still had a Diana silver figurine put under their bed just in case this whole Jesus thing didn't work out were still called saints. Now, now we hear that and we go, <clears throat> that's not me. Because we learn about like St. Anthony and St. Peter and, and all these other types of things. And if you're kind of like a, coming out of Catholicism, like the idea of calling yourself a saint is weird. And, and I would just say, this is where we kind of have to take some of the baggage that is put on that word by um, different denominations of Christianity and just go based off of the gospel. See, Paul calls us this, not just here in Ephesians, over and over again, he calls the people of God, the family of God, those who are in Christ, he calls them saints. The word that he uses there, this word in the Greek, it would say agios. And it means the holy ones. Now again, I look in the mirror sometimes too, and you look in the mirror too. And let's be honest, guys, like I don't look and see St. Trent a whole lot. Like if we like if we went old school today. And I, I did like we used to do at old school church and like the pastor lines up at the door. Now you're lucky because we got two. So you figure out which one I wasn't at. Um, but back in the day, you had like one exit of the church, right? And where was the pastor at? He was back there, you know? And, and you had to shake his hand or say something to him. I don't know if he had maybe a low self-esteem. He had to make sure, good job, pastor. Good job, pastor. Good job, pastor. The pastor in his heart, he probably needed all those good jobs. Um, but if I line back up at one of these doors, and as you all were exiting, we locked that one. I lined up at that one. And I, and I looked at every one of you guys in the eye and I shook your hand. And I said, have a great week. Remember, you are a saint. You guys would kind of be like, uh, you don't know me. Uh, you're weird. Uh, you know, you think I'm weird or you think, you know, you, you, you'd have some weird thought. Like you, you'd kind of go there like, I don't, I don't, I don't like to be called that. Well, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the very Spirit of God, 
in his first effort in this grand distilled gospel that is the book of Ephesians, his first thing that he says that is your characteristic identity, the first one that jumps off the page, he doesn't say, hey, to the good workers in Ephesus. He doesn't say, hey, to the people who got their act together, to the really smart in Ephesus or to the they're super athletic in Ephesus. He says, to the saints in Ephesus. Now I'll ask you this question when you hear that word. When you think about you, do you think sinner or saint? See, if you're, if you're like me, being honest, like sometimes when we think about ourselves, we think less of us as saints. We think more of ourselves as sinners. We think about the things we've done wrong. We can't get them off our mind. We have regrets. We have all the things we wish we would have done. And those seem to be what reverberate through our mind. And we feel like we're caught in the echo chamber of our sin, not in this you know, triumph of our sainthood. I read a quote this past week on this and, and I wanted to share it with you guys. I wrote it down so I could get it exactly right so that you could hear it the way I heard it and hopefully it, it brings you hope like it brought me hope. It says, sin may explain some of your activity, right? Well, that's because they're sinful, you know? Why do they act that way? Because of sin. It may explain, key word, some of your activity, but it does not define your entire identity. Listen to this. You will sin some of the time, but you are saint all of the time in Christ. You will sin some of the time, but you are a saint all of the time in Christ. So to go back to last week's closing illustration, if you have the in Christ shoes on, your faith is in him, your trust is in him, you surrendered your life to him, even with those shoes on, you will sin from time to time. And sin will be what you'll do some of the time, but it does not change who you are all of the time in Christ Jesus. See the process from I am sinner to I am saint. And when you become a saint, that process is this big Christian word. And I told you we we're gonna get into some of these. So this goes back to what I talked about at the beginning. It's a whole lot easier to feel a certain way than to think a certain way. And I'm gonna to try to teach you something today so you can begin to think a different way that brings a lasting change. It's this word sanctification. Can we say that together? Sanctification. Some of you already, oh, John three seventeen. just kidding. Um, we'll skip that again. We'll skip that too. Sanctification. I promise it's good stuff. Sanctification, all right? Sanctification means to make holy, to set apart for the sake of accomplishing God's perfect purpose. That's, the, that's what sanctification, uh, sanctification is this process. Again, what, do you, what word do you see in sanctification? Saint. This is the process of becoming Saint. So sanctification means to make holy. Here's the key word. I'm going to show you this. To set apart for the sake of accomplishing God's perfect plan. Here's how I would illustrate this to you. All right. When you want to make a baseball bat, all right, you have to start with what? If you want to make a wood baseball bat, what do you have to start with? Wood. <laughs> Yay. Good job. You got to start with wood. If you want to make a, a, a wooden baseball bat, you've got to start with wood. And so the bat maker, or if, if I wanted to make one on my own, I, I would go and I would find a tree or a limb or, or something or a trunk. And I would go, okay, that is somewhat straight. You know, it's just the right type of wood. It's somewhat straight. I want to go and I want to make a bat out of this. I would cut this down like I have. And you know what I would do? I would sanctify this piece of wood. I would set it apart 
for its intended purpose of creating a baseball bat with it. In the same way, when you come to Christ, that is what God does in you. So he goes, all right, I'm gonna cut you out of this environment that you're in. There's no way you could live here. There's no way you could get resources here. You have to be cut out of this. I'm taking you out and I'm setting you aside. I'm sanctifying by making you holy because what God as the father, as the great creator knows is that within this is the bat, is the perfect manicured, put on the lathe of life, trimmed down, perfectly designed for what I created it to do. He knows that within this is this. He just has some work to do to get there. In the church of Christ, we call that work to do to get from this to this sanctification. But what I want you to understand, and this is why I need you to stop calling yourself a sinner and start calling yourself a saint, is within this is this. It's in there now. It, this is not something sinful. It has been set apart by holy God, by his good work, your faith. Say, this is now set apart to begin the process of sanctifying of creating it to this perfectly well-made tool to be used for the purposes that I have created it to be used for. But oftentimes we see ourselves here and we go, well, I'm not a bat and I don't, I don't work. And we get frustrated. And this is, this is why our faith can't be defined by our feelings because man, this is heavy. And like, I'm a decent athlete. I would not want to swing this. Like if you said, hey, we got a you know, men's league baseball game today. Like, here's your bat, Trent. Like, no, that would be terrible. I could give this to a great athlete. I give this to Ronald Acuna Jr. And like, he'd still have trouble. He'd just probably strike out today. If I gave him this, said, happy Mother's Day. You get to swing this bat. This is your special Mother's Day bat. It'd be terrible. But God wants to do a work. And he wants to allow the parts of you that is not fully who you are to be chipped away, to chisel them away so that he can be, again, the person who fulfills God's perfect purpose in your life. Now, what's amazing is how by the power of the Holy Spirit, what Paul encourages the Ephesians to do, and again, this is what it means to be a saint. What Paul encourages the Ephesians to do is the exact same, same thing that the night that Jesus was gonna be betrayed, that the night before he went to the cross on Good Friday to be crucified, the very same thing that Paul is talking about here is the very same thing that Jesus prayed you would experience. I wanna show that to you. John 17. As we get ready to go into communion, you know, a lot of times we think about communion as the time where I get to go pray to Jesus, but I want you to take what Jesus prayed for you into your time of communion. This is what, and again, this is wild to think about. <clears throat> Jesus prayed for you. We're gonna get into this a little bit more in the weeks to come, but you heard that big long P word in there of predestined, that God from the beginning of time had chose you. So all, if all that is true, that means that Jesus, as he is there in this upper room praying this prayer, he, as God, prays those prayers with the foreknowledge of you and your name and your chair right now, prays that with the foreknowledge of you in mind. And he prays this to his father, talking about his disciples then and his disciples now. He says this of them, and he says this of you, they are not of the world. Which again, 
It's his way of saying back to this very same thing Paul said. You're in Christ and you're in Ephesus. You're not just in Ephesus though. They're not of this world. The place where you're final, if you're in Christ, your GPS coordinates have changed from hell to heaven. So you're not of this world anymore. You may live here, you may walk it, but it is not what you are destined to remain in. It says they are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. And look at verse 17, this is mind blowing. He prayed this for you. Sanctify them in the truth. I love that. Sanctify them in the truth. So again, this whole process of right of like going from this to this, it's not sanctify them in their good works. Sanctify them in perfect church attendance. He says, sanctify them in the truth, not the feelings. Sanctify them in the truth. Now look what he says after that. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So if we were like, okay, it says sanctify me in the truth. So how I go from this to this is by truth. Well, what does that mean? He makes it absolutely clear when he says your word is truth. And so we can sit around and moan and complain and worry and wonder, why, do I don't, why don't I feel like a saint? Why don't I feel sanctified? Why don't I feel like the person who's created for this purpose that God supposedly had to me? Meanwhile, our Bibles collect dust. Meanwhile, the only time we hear the word of God is when we come to church. He says, sanctify them by your word, by the truth of your word. And, and friends, that's why Satan will put whatever he has to in your hands or in front of your face to keep you out of his word. Because you going from this to this, this is what makes it happen. Now, please don't hear me saying that the Bible is somehow the fourth member of the Trinity because it is not. But this word of God is where we have the revealed truth of who he is. I say, like I said last week, until you see who he is, you will never know who you are and you will never become who he has created you to be. And the place you find all of that is in his word. So my challenge for you this week is this. Go. And if you've got a Bible, or even if you have a Bible app, here's a, I'm gonna put really easy way to do this. If you have a Bible app, go find the book of Ephesians in your Bible app. In there, there's a, there's a play button, all right? You could even, you could stay in bed. You don't even gotta get out of bed. Just roll over, grab your phone. You know you already do that anyway. Roll over, grab it, don't open up any other app, go to the Bible, go to the book of Ephesians, and I would probably say keep your eyes open so you don't fall back asleep, but press play and just let that thing sit by your head and hear, I don't know who he is, whoever they are, hear them read the book of Ephesians to you from beginning to end. Or maybe you find a way to do that in your car this week. You plug it up, put it in however you do it in your car with Bluetooth or whatever. And on your commute, instead of sports radio, instead of music, instead of whatever it is you listen to in the mornings on your commute, press play on the book of Ephesians and let, let the word of truth begin to sanctify you. The reason Satan wants to keep you there is because if he can keep you out of God's word, he, he knows he can keep you thinking you're a sinner. And if you just think you're a sinner, you know what you're not going to act like to your coworkers? Saint. If you think you're a sinner, you know who you're not going to be to your kids? A godly example. 
Sinners have no reason to be sacrificial with their giving. Sinners have no reason to try to bridge racial boundaries. Saints do though. And I'm praying that that's what God would lead us into. And he would do it by the power of his unchanging word of truth. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word, how it is so true today, tomorrow, every day of our life. And as we come to you in these moments and pray to you, Jesus, I pray that you begin to show us the parts of us that you need to cut out, that your word will reveal to us the things that need to be chiseled off, chiseled away, so that we can see ourselves the way you see us as saints, holy ambassadors to a dark world around us. I pray for my friends today, God, who feel like they've sinned too far or they've messed up too much to ever be loved by you. I pray that they will know that you didn't come to condemn the world, but you came to save the world. And please, Jesus, don't let them be prideful enough to in condemning themselves do the very thing that you said you refused to do. Let them to surrender to your salvation, to your grace, and give their heart, their life, and everything over to you. I love you, Jesus. It's an honor to bring your word. And I pray that it does not return void. That the miracles that can only happen by the preaching of your world will happen today, here in this room, online, and the week to come. In your name, Jesus.